I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. When I tell you, baby, that I got a problem, you said, honey, hold on, I got it. What you ought to say is you don't know anymore. Everybody's got them. It's a big, bad world, but I, I want more. I want to know what it's all for. Because the best days of my life are coming for me, waiting to be realized. I keep my eye on that prize. If the best days that I Am I gonna last forever? I want more best days I could have stayed in college but I didn't wanna I dropped out and moved to California Left Ohio for the next best thing I got a pickup truck I want a diamond ring You're hearing Best Days by my guest today on the program, Lissy. Let me tell you a little bit about Lissy. Now, you may or may not know this, but at one point or another, all great careers seem to pass through the musical Annie. Let me give you a list of people who have been involved in the legendary production, and you'll see what I mean. Albert Finney, Tim Curry, Carol Burnett, Jamie Foxx, Bernadette Peters, and of course... Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, let me add one more to the list. Lissy, the Illinois-raised Lissy, who was born Elizabeth Corinne Morris, played Annie herself at the age of nine. And that got the ball rolling. But, truth be told, it had been rolling for a while. Lissy had started with singing and dancing lessons at the age of five, so by nine, she was a bit of a veteran. She began writing her own material when she was in high school. And by the time she enrolled at Colorado State, she had a satchel full of songs and was playing out as much as she could. In 2005, she teamed up with DJ Harry for the tune All My Life, which landed on the OC, House, and Veronica Mars. So, all of a sudden, Lissy was on the map. But she was also still in college and she wanted to finish, so she studied in Paris, she came back, finished her classes, and she graduated in 2006. And just a year later, she put out a four-song EP that landed on KCRW's program, Morning Becomes Eclectic. Now, around the same time, Lissy had amassed quite a following on MySpace. For those of you who don't remember MySpace, MySpace was like the Annie of the social media world. Was, I should stress. It's not really uh, so much anymore. But back to our story. Lissy had a huge presence on the platform, so big, in fact that her music came to the attention of Lenny Kravitz. Kravitz tapped Lissy to open for his 2008 Love Revolution tour. A few months later, her collaboration with DJ Morgan Page called The Longest Road hit number four on Billboard's Hot Dance Club chart. 
Interesting side note, Dead Mouse took a crack at the tune himself, and his remix was nominated for a Grammy. But back to our story. Lissy's EP, Why You Runnin', was produced by Band of Horses' Bill Reynolds, and not long after that, she signed to Sony Music UK. For the next 10 years, Lissy's CV got crammed with highlight after highlight. Aside from putting out five critically acclaimed albums, including her arresting 2010 debut, Catching a Tiger, Lissy has collaborated with Elton John, Ed Harcourt, Snow Patrol, Robbie Williams, and AHA. She's open for Tom Petty, played The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and The Late Show with Craig Ferguson, released a live record called Live at the Union Chapel, and she's appeared on Twin Peaks, playing her song Wild West in the Roadhouse Bar. Lissy is not only a spellbinding singer with achingly perfect phrasing and heart-crushing precision, she's also a master interpreter of the modern songbook. She's covered Led Zeppelin, Danzig, Fleetwood Mac, Kid Cudi, Drake, Lady Gaga, and Bob Dylan, and her interpretations always yield unexpected and stirring results. Now, Lissy had been living in Ojai until recently. Getting back to her Midwestern roots, she's now living on a 50-acre farm in a small town in Iowa. And if that sounds a bit solitary, well, it is and it isn't. I'll let her explain that. Lissy's new album, When I'm Alone, The Piano Introspective, might very well represent the solitary part. Comprised of nine of her own compositions culled from her back catalog, as well as covers of tracks by Fleetwood Mac and the Dixie Chicks, this is a stripped-down and solitary effort. How stripped-down is it, you might be wondering? Well, it only features a piano and Lissy's haunting vocals. It is truly one of the most affecting and powerful releases of the year. And, though it is indeed solitary living life on a farm, from this chat you'll see that Lissy has never felt more at home as she does now. I suppose her attitude about her new environment might best be described from the immortal words taken from the musical Annie. I think I'm going to like it here. And I think you're going to like this chat. Enjoy my conversation with Lissy right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Well, so I grew up um, in Rock Island, Illinois, which is actually about three hours um, west of Chicago. Okay. Um, so I grew up like kind of right right on the border of Iowa and the Mississippi River, um, and I'm living in Iowa now. So where I'm at in northeastern Iowa, it's actually a little bit like hillier and not quite as flat, but, you know, even just like the flat stretches of farmland, like I just kind of, I guess, since it's what I grew up seeing, I'm kind of nostalgic for it, so... You know, I spent 12 years in California, but now I'm back. So I'm enjoying being back around the kind of familiar, familiar feelings. What was your uh, what was your experience in California? Did you like living here? Yeah, I, I really did. I grew uh, I started in Los Angeles and I was there for about five years. And then I went and spent like seven years in Ojai, which is just about two hours north of L.A. So I kind of felt like it. You know, I was close enough to L.A., but I was also living in a small town and could, you know, hike and go to waterfalls, you know. But I kind of always had this idea that eventually I'd end up buying a farm in Iowa. And for some reason, just in 2015, some things had changed with, like, my career and I was independent. And uh, 
kind of just very impulsively was like, you know, now's the goodest time as any to just like go find a farm and buy it. So um, I miss California, but I had to like kind of shove that feeling down because I don't live there anymore. So I try not to dwell on it. You know, I, I had this amazing porch in Ojai and it was like, I come back from being with my family over Christmas and come back to California. It's just like, Oh, it's just so heavenly here and warm and sunny. And well, isn't it true also that when you, when you're starting out and you're, you're really getting into the industry and your career is beginning, it feels like you really should be in California. And then, and then once your career kind of gets to a place where you're really in control of it, then it feels like you can leave. I mean, did it feel like you almost had to be in California? Well, you know, I, I thought that whether or not that was true. Um, cause I know, especially now too, with like the internet, probably people can get away with living anywhere. Um, especially for myself, like I'm a touring artist, so I'm not really staying in one place anyways. Um, but I think at the time, again, whether it was true or not, you know, I watched maybe enough movies growing up that it's like, if you want to be a singer, you have to like, you know, go to LA and get a record deal. Um, so that was really like, for me, I think was the right choice because that was sort of how I, how I ended up kind of discovered and and meeting people in the business that could help me. Was your concept of California, was it also kind of based on that California myth? Like so much of, of what you may have thought about the state was what you had sort of, there's always a kind of romantic idea about going West. When you, when you had gotten to California, did it match up with your perception of what you thought it would be? Yeah. I mean, it, I really did. I like, even when I first moved there um, and just like the way that the air smelled when the, you know, uh, jasmine would be blooming and the air just like it felt different and it was had a sweetness to it. And, you know, going down Hollywood Boulevard and like you'd see famous people sometimes. And it was it really was. And I think I was probably was and maybe still am in ways like kind of just this naive, wide eyed youngster. So I think that oh, this is amazing. Like I'm in Los Angeles. Like um, so, yeah, it totally measured up to my my ideas of what it would be when I got there. How are you creatively? Do you, do you find that your creative process is nurtured by your geography? In other words, do you feel that now that you're, you're in Iowa, do you feel that your creative process is the same? Is it, is it, do you notice a difference based on where you are or does it have nothing to do with that? Well, I feel like it will. And the answer to that question remains to be seen. Cause I get asked, that a little bit like oh it's being on a farm in Iowa like how does that inform your music but I feel like I'm still in this transitional space where even though I've moved here um, and I've made a record since moving here um, I spent so much time on the road that I've yet to really kind of settle into like what my life really is going to feature um, so it's kind of hard to say I mean I think I think that I don't know that my geography does inform my creativity as much as maybe having, you know, some space or some solitude gives me a chance to sort of, you know, ruminate on whatever feelings or thoughts I'm having. Um, but, you know, there's really no consistency. I think it's more just like whatever I'm going through, what I'm observing in the world around me, regardless of where I am, you know, if I have a strong feeling, then I will, then I will write. And if I don't, I probably won't. Does your creativity, does it come to you, is it fairly consistent or are there fallow periods? I'd say that there's probably fallow periods for sure. I mean, I 
I've kind of kept on this, you know, delivering a new album, like, you know, every two years since I put out my first major release. Um, and like right now, I feel like I don't really know. There's not a lot that I, I feel like right now I'm so in just like tour mind um, and like house and farm practicalities, like getting my basement waterproofed and, you know, some trees that need to come out kind of stuff. Like just how, yeah, what the next kind of wave of music will necessarily be about. So I think there are periods of time where I don't feel like there's quite the urgent need to create you know i could fake it and i could sit down and write a song and i'm sure it would they would fly but that's not really my style it's more like i use music to just sort of speak my truth so i just let it come when it wants to come and so the the fallow periods went while you're waterproofing a basement or ripping out a tree the fallow periods don't scare you no i don't think so i mean there's times where maybe i felt like you know, even since moving here that I really have kind of removed myself from my peers and, you know, I'll tour with bands from time to time, depending on what I'm doing. So I do have some sense of a community, um, really have isolated myself in ways, um, just from the industry that I'm in or, or when I do go periods of time that I just like, don't really feel particularly inspired to write or I don't spend time just playing music for the heck of it I yeah I suppose there are times where I'm like if I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling down on myself maybe that would worry me but maybe just you know historically it always kind of like comes back so I just assume it will I don't know hopefully yeah I mean I almost think the fallow periods are part are, are as much a part of the creative process as the periods where it's all just coming. Yeah, because I think a lot of stuff gets stored up in your subconscious. I mean, I think some of the best lyrics I write aren't aren't just, like, coming out of my mouth when I'm cleaning my kitchen. So it doesn't appear that I'm actively, like, doing it, that there's all this stuff that, like, my subconscious mind, I'm sure, is, like, storing and building up and there's going to be like this great resource to tap from that I'm not even like aware of. Are you creatively, are you finding that you are interested in the same sort of thematic concerns that you've always been interested in? Or do you find that you're, that you're evolving? Are you, are you sort of checking in on that or how does that, how does that work? Or you just let it come and then you sort of figure out what the through line is. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that a lot of the, you know, because my, my body of work I think really reflects like the chapters of my life and mostly like a lot of romance or longing or rejection or, you know, maybe impulsive behavior or bad choices or whatever. You know, I think there has been this uh, way in which my music was about what I was going through and more often than not, um, like my first album, it was about a relationship that ended um, my second album was a little bit more just about kind of feeling like, you know, I'd lost my aunt had died and did this old family album of all these pictures of us when we were, you know, young and life held so much hope and while life is feeling a little bit nostalgic. And so the second album sort of tapped into that kind of sense of getting older and, you know, the feelings that that brings up. And then my Wild West, my third album, you know, was very much about like, 
making this big decision to head back to the Midwest. And so I was reflecting on kind of my time in California and then Castles, my most recent one again was like, you know, made kind of in the process of trying to get out of this relationship that kind of was doomed from the start. But I, for some sick reason, continued to subject myself to the tortures of it. Um, (laughs) So I think that's how, you know, now moving forward, it's like, I hope that I've learned from my mistakes. So it's hard to say, like I said, what the next batch of songs will be. It's like, I don't really want to just keep reliving the same patterns, behavior, or traffic situations. It's like, you know, when it's all said and done and I put out however many albums I'll put out, I mean, I hope that some growth and maturity uh, will have occurred. Um, you know, so... Sorry, I kind of lost track of what I was trying to tell you. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that was great. I mean, it's it's like it's like every album kind of represents a a period of time in your life. I mean, of course it does, but the contents of it also are like sort of mini snapshots of what was actually going on at the time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I think because I've been on such a like marathon of like a road life. And I have this new kind of existence that I have this time and I'm actually in, you know, a healthy relationship, which I don't know if it's the one or anything, but it's not, there's not a lot of drama. Um, you know, I don't think that there's like an area in my life that I'm feeling particularly like vocal about currently. I mean, I have a lot of political thoughts and feelings, but I always think that that stuff's kind of hard to condense into a song. Um, and it's always so heated anyways. It's like exhausting to try to talk to people about it. Um, so I know I, yeah, I don't, yes, I don't really know. I don't know, but I, I feel like there's always something, you know, I've been talking, I like to garden a lot. And one of the things I've been sort of exploring is just like, you know, literally from shit, like is what like amazing stuff grows out of, you know, like you take like compost and dead stuff and, you know, chicken poop and you put it in the soil and it helps create this new, beautiful, like living thing that will give you like nutrition and joy. And so I think there's like definitely a metaphor maybe around the farm for growth, you know, some from some of the worst shit comes some of the most uh, beautiful, beautiful work. But I also don't want to live my life where I'm like at the whim of some, personal dilemma in order to be creative and if you're going to write a a a political song it seems like it would have to be done in in a like in a punk rock song in the old days they would talk about reagan and like songs that were a minute long (laughs) yeah no and i i don't know i have like i I wrote a song um called mountaintop removal on my second record uh which is an actual practice where they blow up mountains to get to coal and it really is pretty devastating to the people and the environment it was it was about that practice, but it was kind of more just about the sightedness of humans sometimes, and and it's not like blatantly attacking anything or anyone. It's just more kind of exploring this idea of like you know what is wrong with us that we we do these things for short term gain that just are like such terrible consequences, you know. Um, but yeah, the otherwise it's like I don't really know how to boil everything down that I'm feeling in these complicated days into like a 
a tune. And there's some artists that I know are great at doing that, but um, and maybe I will someday. Who knows? It's interesting to hear you say that you that you'd been in a relationship and you knew that it wasn't good, but yet you hung in there. And that I think that describes all of us. Um, do you ever think to yourself like, why? What was I doing hanging around when I knew better? Yeah, I mean, I did, and I think, I mean, I think sometimes you realize that, say, you put all of this, put all of this sort of, I don't know, uh, you put this person that you love maybe on this like pedestal, and then you know if they reject you, it feels like awful, but also. I think you start to realize that it, maybe it's not so much about this other person. It's more about like, well, what's going on within yourself that you would continue to like, you know, be like, put yourself in a position that you know is, is just going to continually like disappoint you and make you feel terrible about yourself. And, uh, and I don't know why, you know, what I, I'm still figuring it out. And I think, I think I kind of have gotten past it now where it's like, want to do that anymore and I think it just comes down to getting older and accepting yourself and loving yourself and you know it seems to me but... like like in romance <laughs> we're, we're so willing to do that in romance but in any other part of our lives if someone said get on this boat and the boat is for sure gonna sink before you get to the other side you'd never step on that boat right I know it's so true I, it's an interesting thing I I can't explain it you know the Humans, I think, are kind of wounded in ways can't even put their fingers on. And then throughout your life, you're just sort of trying to make sense of your choices. So, <laughs> like, where do they come from? My sister had given me an example. She's a therapist, and she was talking about, like, you know, your senses. And it's like, you know, if you put your arm on something hot and it burnt you, you wouldn't keep putting your arm on it. Or if you, like, where she has a bunch of this example, like, you have, like, a dirty diaper you wouldn't like keep opening it and like wanting to smell it, you know, you wouldn't right. like throw it away cause it's disgusting. But there's something about like this sense of, of why, you know, you continue to maybe participate in things that are painful. It's, it's an interesting thing, but I feel like I'm, I'm so far removed from that right now. So it's just kind of like reflecting on that last album. I mean, that, that was sort of what was going on. Do you feel that you are a hopeful person? Yeah, I think I am, for sure. For sure I am. I mean, I think maybe for me, too, as I've gotten older, I maybe get a little bit more jaded or cynical. You know, I'm really trying not to. Um, and I sort of joke, like, on my last album, I put out a song called Best Days, and it's kind of, like, almost, like, aggressively hopeful or something. I don't know quite else how to describe it. Um, but, yeah, I'd say I'm hopeful. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I find that in our lives, if, if, if we make the mistakes, it's fine. But if we keep making them and we're well into our late thirties, early forties, then we're in our fifties and sixties and we're still making those mistakes, then I think it's all for naught. Totally. And I mean, like when you say like, you know, if someone told you the ship's going to sink, you wouldn't keep on it. But I do think that our relationships with other people, you know, not every person that you're dating is meant to be the person that you spend the rest of your life with. And as painful as those relationships could be, I think that there's ultimately like just you need to go through those things because that's how you learn about yourself and learn what you do and don't want. And it's just all kind of necessary stuff that you got to go through to figure out what you want and like what happens when I do this and like 
I think it's all just kind of like necessary education or something. One thing I – well, there's a lot of things I love about your work, but one of the things that I really love about you as an artist is that you, you seem to arrive sort of fully formed. And what I mean by that is that you were very self-possessed in the sense that it seemed like you really knew who you were. You seemed like you hit the ground running. Did you always know who you were creatively? Did you always feel confident in, in that process and in that persona? Oh, well, thank you for that. Um I, how do I answer that? I mean, I think part of the disconnect maybe for me that I'm kind of aware of is that I don't really have a very distinctive, like, musical style. The work that I've done has been, you know, part of collaborating with other musicians and producers, but I think hopefully the cohesive thread or whatever is my voice and my pretty straightforward, like, true-to-life songwriting. It's like pretty plain speak, real-time stuff pretty direct there's hopefully you know a lot of hope in my songs um so i think those elements like my voice and my literally my physical voice and then my voice in terms of my and it's always really been there and it's always been a very natural thing for me i mean being in an industry where you know sonic sonic styles or fashion styles or things like that have always been a little bit less natural to me so I think I, I, and I've always known that about myself. So in terms of just kind of like I'm just going to be myself. And that's always been the way I rolled since I was a kid. Sometimes it gets me into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really nice to, to know that, I mean, well, I guess as a, as a kid, did you feel, even though you were self-possessed with who you were, did you feel out of step with your contemporaries? Well, I mean, I did feel there's elements of, like, things that I can relate to. I mean, I definitely had a lot of times in my life when I felt misunderstood or weird or, like, I didn't have, like, the proper access to, like, a more creative community that I felt, like, connected to people, like, with my music. Like, I didn't really have a lot of that necessarily, especially in high school. I mean, I was in plays and stuff when I was a kid, but... I don't know. I mean, I think I think I have this complex that I just think I'm like an underdog and an outsider, which may or may not be true. And that's just something I've always told myself. So I kind of just like have separated myself from my contemporaries, whether that's like real or just some complex I have about just that. Like, I don't want to be part of any club that would have me as a member vibe, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, and I think, too, kind of growing up in the Midwest, it's such a fabulous place because people are really friendly and down to earth, and um, there's so many great qualities, but I think it also is the sort of place where, like, if you stand out or if you, you know, think you're hot, hot stuff, like, it doesn't go over well. How were your parents with your, with your creative endeavors? Were they supportive of the path that you decided to take? Totally, yeah. I mean, I'm the youngest of four. Um, I was always singing and stuff, and I, you know, even as, like, a kid, like, you know, I got the lead role of Annie and the musical Annie, and so I was kind of always, and being the youngest of four, like, all my siblings, you know, went to great schools and uh, have good jobs, and they wanted me to go to college, and I did for two years, and then, you know, really didn't know what else I wanted to do other than music, so at the time, I decided to drop out and move to L.A., I mean, it's more my mom. I mean, my dad was supportive, but he was maybe a little more 
practical, but my mom was totally on board. Um, so yeah, I'm super, super supportive parents, like not only to me, but just my siblings. It was like anything we were ever interested in or wanted to do. It was like, they, they facilitated that. Um, so I feel super fortunate in that regard. When you, when things started to happen for you, I mean, people really took to you, you know, quickly, whether it was Lenny Kravitz or Snow Patrol, were you surprised at how, at how accepted you were becoming and at the speed in which people were into your stuff? Was that, it must've been a, a, a lovely thing, but were you surprised that like, oh wow, people are getting me. People are getting this. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if I see it that way. It's kind of hard for me to see myself how other people see me. Um, you know, I felt like people liked my voice, and it was unique, and it was really very encouraging and flattering when successful people would invite me to sing or tour with them. I mean, none of those really things ever turned into real, like, relationships necessarily. Right. So maybe I see it differently than someone on the outside would. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that because I think I, I have a girlfriend here in Iowa that I hang out with a lot. And, you know, it's sort of we talk a lot about how it's really hard to, like, see yourself how other people perceive you. You know, depending on the kind of day I'm having, I mean, I have no idea that people even think about me. You know, and then I'll go play shows and be like, oh, like, there's all these people that know my songs. So, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> lack of self-awareness when it comes to that. Well, Lissy, people like you. Oh, well, that feels good. <laughs> no, and I, and I have a, I have a great fan base and I, and I do know that, but, you know, like anyone and a doubt creeps in or you compare yourself to other people's careers or there's things that you would like to have or do that don't happen or I don't know and then it's sort of when I need to like take a step back and be like look at all the look at all these great things that like you've done and all these wonderful people that you know support you and that you get to be like this amazing part of their lives I'm tired of saying that I won't get lost ever again who knows maybe I will and everywhere I go there I'll be with a rusty old rake in a pile of leaves on oh my truly daunting. But my blue eyes cannot see that their real hue is probably green. I should keep records of these things and I know what yesterday I'm not really sure, but I'm starting to think that I've been here before, who knows, maybe I have, and everywhere I went, there I was with the quiet beans, they were all of us, oh my, how amusing, but my blue eyes cannot see, that there is probably
when I swore God she spoke to me and she told me oh yes she told me of all the wonders that she changed um say in the last 10 years have you have you learned that you can do more things with it like what is your relationship to your voice now say compared to when you first started yeah i mean it's funny because i think like oh my voice is the best it's ever been and it's you know very much like a muscle a muscle that you can strengthen um and so for all the years of warming up the voice and playing shows and all that stuff i mean really has made it strong um but then i'll hear myself and old recordings like even back when I was 18 and be surprised at like oh yeah my voice was good then too like I don't know it's again that's hard for me to quite grasp but I feel right now I feel very connected to it you know it does what I want it to do for the most part sometimes it gets really tired if I play too many shows in a row and I'm talking to lots of people I have to definitely like make sure I get sleep and rest it um because it just it takes a beating but um you know I feel I have a great relationship with my voice. Like, I feel like it does, for the most part, what I want it to do. I don't really have a lot of, like, falsetto notes or anything anymore. Um, but that's okay. And why Why is that? I probably don't talk like I'm supposed to. Like, you know, a lot of singers see speech therapists. Like, you know, your vocal cords get inflamed, and I think my my baseline of my vocal cords is that they're probably a little bit swollen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I probably could take better care of myself, you know. Um, but no, I don't know. It's fat. I don't know. And then, but I also am a smoker. So oh, no. I think Come that on. probably has something to do with it. Wait, is that true? You You really are a smoker? Yeah. And I wonder, I always wonder about that because I... I wonder if that's something that you think about every time you light up or you're like, what am I doing to my voice? Or does that worry you? Talking about it, I don't want to like jinx myself by saying like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't worry about it. Um, 
I know it's not ideal. I mean, you'd be surprised how many singers smoke. It's so funny. Like, it's really random uh, or, or counterintuitive. Um, and I quit, and I may quit again. I, I don't know. I kind of try not to talk about it too much just because, you know, people's families die from smoking. I know it's bad. I don't want to, like, ever put it up on my Instagram or try to make it look cool because I know it's a bad thing that has been a really terrible thing in people's lives. So, I don't know. I'm just trying to be honest with you. And I'm sure it probably has some impact on my voice, but I feel like I've been doing it so long that with a lot of things, I think that people seem to just kind of adapt to what their normal is. Like, I know people who don't really smoke, and if they do, they're, you know, kind of screwed the next day. Like, their throat hurts. So I think, you know, you kind of get used to the stuff that you're used to. I mean, that probably sounds like a real ignorant answer. But. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I've heard some singers say that, like, certain foods are actually, like, uh, nightshades or certain things actually affect the voice negatively for the next day, like tomatoes or peppers or things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that, uh, you know, acid reflux is something I've had, like, on and off in my lifetime. You know, that's usually just from, you know, maybe you eat a lot of, like, tomatoey acidic kind of spicy or you know red wine or coffee or cigarettes i mean there are all these things that um you know the acid does kind of like get into your larynx so definitely i think a lot of singers like do suffer like hoarseness or they lose their voices and it's not from usage it's more from like you know maybe they have acid reflux um so you know if 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 people were really like an opera singer or something i mean i'm sure they they take it much more seriously than, I mean, I'm telling you all this and then I'm like, Oh, I don't want to jinx myself because (laughs) what if my acid reflux comes back now? (laughs) It's been fine lately. But like last year there was like two week period where like I lost my voice because I just like was not, you know, or some people have dairy and it like creates inflammation in certain people. So yeah, there's definitely, I mean, for some singers, I mean, they almost treat it like they're an athlete. Um, Right. Or, or even so. something like like I was reading this this piece, uh, a really famous essay about Sinatra when, called "Frank Sinatra Has a Cold." And when Sinatra has a cold, uh, the writer kind of tells us that like the world will suffer because if Sinatra can't sing, he's not a pleasant guy to be around. Are you, how are you with with germs and colds and things like that? Because I imagine that's a very dreaded thing for for a singer to to get. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's funny because I feel like I don't get sick a lot, but then I think, like, maybe I do get sick a lot. I just had a terrible cold, and I was running around the Northeast, and it was cold, and it was snowing, and um, and it wasn't fun, and I felt like crap. You know, even if my voice kind of is impaired, it's like usually I can sort of figure out how to use it in the way I need it to, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I get sick, and... I've been trying to just be more mindful of making sure, like, I have zinc on me. Like, if I start feeling a little funky, maybe I take some zinc or elderberry, which is sort of like a preventative thing that I think really actually works. So, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's taking a weird turn. Oh, Lissy, this this podcast is known for taking weird turns. By the way, are you superstitious? Because it, it sounds to me like you might be. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe I am. Or not superstitious, but I think sometimes the subconscious mind is just very powerful. And so when you start kind of throwing stuff out there, 
it kind of creates this reality where things go a certain way. I don't know. Yeah, the power of suggestion. Uh, what kind of animals do you have roaming around that farm of yours? I don't have any farm animals. That is something that I would like to do, but unfortunately I'm not really around enough to, you know, take care of something day in and day out. Um, I have a dog, but he is currently living in Virginia with my boyfriend because I'm traveling. Um, but I do have a barn that has, like, pens and stuff. Um, it used to be, like, some a goat dairy on my property. So I have kind of the, the setup and pasture and so on to have animals like to do. Um, my neighbor's uncle keeps bees on my property, and I get to kind of join in on that if I'm around for it. Um, and, yeah, so it's all kind of still very much in process. But I have, like, a, a vision. I have a vision for what it, what it ultimately will become, and animals are a part of that. And let me ask you this. On Valentine's Day, are you the kind of person that likes sentiment or, or are you kind of allergic to uh, – to, uh, like, for example, my last girlfriend, if I, if I said anything sentimental or if I wrote her a card, she would kind of make fun of me. Um, she was allergic oh, to sentiment, I know. <laughs> what about you? How, how do you receive that kind of stuff on, on this Valentine's Day? We'll, we'll bring that subject up. I mean, I think it's wonderful if it's if it's the person that you want it from. I think sentiments and loving words and expressing that is is a wonderful thing. I I like it. I mean, again, it like has to be from the person you want it from, um, and not just like some random. You're like, oh, what is this weird look? <laughs> yeah, like well, so I have I haven't had I haven't had very many boyfriends to be honest. Like like. It's weird. I really haven't had any, and I do have a boyfriend right now, and he did send me flowers, and it made me feel super special. And I didn't think I cared about that kind of stuff, but, you know, it it is nice to know that somebody's thinking of you and wants you to know that they love you. I think it's it's very sweet. You know, months or even years from now when people are listening to this podcast, they're going to be wondering why I'm talking about Valentine's Day, and the reason why is because you and I are actually chatting on valentine's day so uh what else do you have planned uh for the rest of the day you know aside from talking to me well i actually live in like this really cute little town in northeastern iowa and the people are just so friendly and there's always so much going on um so tonight there's like a dance like in town like it's called the palentine's day dance um i'm feeling motivated to drive into town um I like to do trivia on Thursdays. So I think tonight I'm going to go to the Palantines dance for a little bit and then like Palantines and then trivia. Um, and then tomorrow I actually take off for like a month. So I'm in the process of packing, packing my suitcase. I, I love the, this Midwestern element of the conversation because that answer could have worked a hundred years ago too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cute. I mean, people, there's like contra dancing. Like I was doing that for a minute. Um, like there's country dancing, basically like fair dancing, but I swear it's like I live in a town of like eight thousand people and it's like every night there's like five things going on and it's it's like so heartwarming, you know. Or you can go to the knitting store and like sit Wait, so you hang out at the knitting store? Yeah, well there's like a knitting store that you can go knit at and they'll help you teach you how to knit. I'm not very good at it, but I was kinda of doing that for a minute. And then I have a lot of friends who are good artists, so they'll have these little art parties at their house. I've only gone really to like one of them, but they're kind of ongoing. Um, like I said, trivia is every Thursday and 
Um, there's always like concerts and there's a little college here. So there's usually just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. It's, you, you have, you have a really nice community there. I do. And you know, some of my friends are musical, but I think I've enjoyed kind of living in a place where even though I know people are kind of curious about what I do and maybe they just don't ask, but like, I, it's not like, I don't really hang out with a lot of other people who are in the like entertainment business. And, you know, all my best friends are really the people that I grew up with and stuff. And I sort of prefer it that way. You know, I love all my friends in L.A. who are, you know, musicians and artists and stuff. So it's not that I don't appreciate the company of that, but it's sort of fun to be to be just kind of like in a normal situation. That's kind of, I think, better for me. Well, it gives you a kind of uh, equilibrium and balance. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people, especially like in this farming existence, who just are so capable. I mean, it's so it's so fascinating and almost romantic to me of like knowing how things work and knowing how to fix things and grow things and preserve food and like take care of yourself and um, like I like that's like kind of like my version of a rock star. Like I'll meet farmers and I'm like, oh my god, you're so cool, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really just like, I love that. I just, I feel like I'm, it's what I think is very interesting. It's like people who actually know how to take care of themselves. That's pretty cool. Are you finding a resourcefulness in you that you didn't know was there to this extent or this degree? Uh, At times, like I'll feel proud of myself, but other times I feel kind of helpless. So I'm working it out. I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I think that's the thing is like a lot of people are experiential learners. So it's like, I'll try something and it doesn't go well. But instead of giving up, it's like, then I just go, well, what went wrong? It's like, well, that's, you know, I tried to do this like garden bed thing, but I didn't put like an anchor under it. So when it rained, it like snaps and it's like, well, next time I have to like, you know, put an anchor underneath it and then, you know, maybe drill more holes in the bottom of it. So the water doesn't like weigh it down and you know, just learning things like that. Like I have a drill, but I can't do very much with it. So I don't, I don't want to act like a poser. I'm still very much like a total space cadet. So, (laughs) but, but I'll hopefully learn. Yeah. I mean, your description of, of that whole thing where that, where it snapped and you got to figure something else out, that could also even be a metaphor for the songwriting process where sometimes, you know, I'm a writer and there are times where I get in front of the page and I feel utterly helpless. Whereas other times I feel utterly in control. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think that thing of just, you know, trying to reframe like perceived failure is just, you know, whether that's in a relationship or in a gardening project, like, perceive your perception of having failed at something you can kind of reframe that as like a lesson because if that hadn't happened then you wouldn't know later on like not to do or to do something different you know right like the thing is not going to snap twice you're not going to make the same mistake twice exactly well and maybe i will maybe i'll put an anchor under it and drill some holes in it and it'll happen again and then it's like well maybe i don't put a garden bed here (laughs) maybe i put it somewhere else (laughs) so it was really it was a really cute idea because i have i actually built i built these like garden beds i went to the lumber yard and i got this wood and i had this little like kind of fence fenced in area on three sides already that was on the property so i put in these like two foot by 12 foot like 
beds and there's five of them and I drilled them together and, you know, like secured them to the side of this fence. And then my neighbor came and he put like a big fence around it so the deer couldn't get in. And I helped him do that. And um, he had to do like the harder stuff, but, you know, like putting the chicken wire around it and da, da, da. But anyways, so um, I had this idea on the outside of it. I, I went and got like drawers from a dresser at a thrift store. And I thought it, and it looked really cute. I had these like blue drawers that I had drilled all around it. So there were just these drawers with like flowers growing out of them. Um, and then it rained really hard and they all completely snapped off of the, <laughs> and it was so sad. And I was out of town. So like my neighbor had come by and was like, oh, your drawers snapped off the thing. But it was like, oh, I should have treated the wood. I should have like drilled more holes in it and I should have put an anchor under it. And so maybe I'll try it again and see if it works. <laughs> well, it was a very cool idea. I know. And that's the thing, you know, I have some ideas and I just have to learn, like, what are the realistic steps to make them happen and work? Do you, uh, do you watch any kind of home improvement shows? Do you get inspiration from there? I don't. And, you know, anytime, like, some, that sort of stuff is on, like, I like it. But it's not what I was. Not my go-to. Like I actually just keep rewatching The Office. So <laughs> no, the answer is no. <laughs> Do you rewatch the UK Office or the or the US? The US one. I've actually never watched the UK one. Okay, Scandalous. you have to watch the UK one. It, it is. I mean, it's a totally. It's the same show, but it's 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 so different. Yeah, no, and I know I love Ricky Gervais, and I'm sure I'd love it. I, for some reason, I just get stuck in this, like, office friends loop. Um, and sometimes Sex in the City and the Gilmore Girls. But I really am, like, such a comfort when it comes to TV. It's like I like putting on stuff that I can have on in the background and kind of have memorized. Um, but it's kind of sick, and I think I need to break out of it. <laughs> and watch like a documentary or something. <laughs> so. I know. I always feel I've watched so many Friends episodes that I feel like it, the a title should be called "The One Where You Keep Watching Friends." Yeah, totally. I think there was some like phenomenon though about um, The Office and Friends being like these two shows that like just like a whole generation of people can't stop rewatching. Like, you know. Alter, alternating between the two and that's definitely been me for about I don't know four years now so well I think the reason why is I think it's because those places the setting is a very comfortable or comforting I should say setting you know the office the office in the office there's something really warm about <laughs> it and the you know in friends the the apartment or whether it's central perk uh, there's something incredibly homey about the settings of those of those shows. Yeah, I know it really is. You kind of, it sounds kind of like pathetic, but you kind of feel like they're your friends. Like you feel like it, it is very comforting. Like you check in on like, oh, what's Dwight doing today? You know. Um, <laughs> I really I feel like too, and I I don't know if, how do I say this. Like I feel like The Office is an interesting show for our current kind of political times too, because everyone, you know, rightfully so, it's just like very, very sensitive. And there's a lot of like political correctness, like rightfully so, like there's a lot coming out right now where I think people are realizing like what is and isn't acceptable with sexism and racism and all of these things that are happening and people are, um, you know, offending people 
but maybe maybe like they can't help it because they just don't know any better. And maybe if we spent more time with people that we thought were ignorant, like over time they would change or something. <laughs> I don't know. I feel right. like you feel like you feel like Michael Scott, who's like such a lovable character, but he's like so offensive and so ignorant, especially in the beginning. But like over time, like all of these different people who have all these like kind of prejudices and insensitivities against each other, kind of work through it and kind of come out of it at the end, all like kind of loving and respecting each other. And, you know, not, not just, that's kind of a stretch, but I do think that there is something sweet about, you know, all these different people kind of figuring out how to, how to act around each other. Yeah. Because Um, Michael Scott would have been called into HR about 900 times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone's constantly, like, talking about Pam's boobs, and, right, you know, it's just, like, there's, and, and, like, you know, when Oscar comes out as being gay, just, like, how terribly he handles that, and all the gay jokes he makes, and always assuming that Stanley and Daryl are, like, in gangs, or from, like, you know, or, like, you know, it's just, like, so ignorant, and somehow they work through it, I don't know. It's just I, I, you a know, funny show. It is, and I think with him, I think he's not. It's not malicious, and I think that's the reason why he's endearing. Is that he? It's not coming from a place of hatred. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing because this is such a sensitive area of things to talk about. But I, I personally do not like the direction our country's going, and I don't like our president. I don't. You know, we don't have to get too into it but i'm with you I feel like i know yeah it's like it's it's terrible and it's frightening and it's destructive and it's dividing you know divisive and yet i feel like i know these people who who like him but like are some of like the nicest most helpful people and it's i'm just kind of trying to like reconcile that because you want to like be so angry with them for creating this terrible situation but at the same time, it's like, is is it just sort of like a, a difference of perspective? And it's like, I don't know. It's so hard to put into words. It's like, I, I tend not, I don't even go there. But it, it's like, why would this nice person, you know, have all of these kind of negative thoughts about other people? And I think it just comes down to like, maybe they just haven't had enough interaction outside of their own bubble. And if they did, they would actually change their mind or I don't know. I think there's just, I I haven't, I haven't, I haven't fleshed it out well enough to probably talk about it, but (laughs) I just, (laughs) I don't know. I know what you mean though, because a lot of times it's, it comes from a place of ignorance. It doesn't come from a place of, of, you know, hatred or contempt. And I almost feel that someone like Michael Scott is representative of that, that American person who could actually learn that, oh, different people are fabulous and the things that, you know, your ignorance can be replaced by by enlightenment. Yeah, and I think, like, just off the bat, like, attacking somebody is never going to win them over to your perspective. But, you know, 
years and years of being around people of all kind of different mindsets. Like maybe you kind of rub off on each other and can see where each other are coming from. And then you can kind of find the things you have in common and like, let it ripple out from there. But that's like a long process, you know, and that requires people who don't really like each other to like figure out what they have in common so that they can maybe start to like break down these barriers and find the, what unites us and, you know, there's just a lot of fear and misinformation and a lot of manipulation. And I don't know. I just keep watching the office. (laughs) (laughs) Then I feel better. Yeah. I mean, every time you have that, that temptation to move towards uh, the news, just hit the office. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I have enjoyed talking to you. You're, you're really fun to chat with. And I, I've been such a fan of your music. Well, thank you for spending some Valentine's Day time with me. My pleasure. Now I have to pack and like clean my house and figure out what I'm going to wear to Valentine's stand. So <laughs> probably like jeans and snow boots. So it's not going to be very sexy. So I think you'll make it work. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure. I really, I really enjoyed meeting you and maybe I'll, I'm playing in Berkeley in May. So maybe I'll see you, see you out oh. there. For sure. I will be at the Berkeley Show. Berkeley is uh, four minutes from my house. Perfect. May 4th. All right. I'll see you then. Maybe I'll see you. Awesome. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. Happy Valentine's Day. And to you. All right, so Lissy has 50 acres out there uh, in Iowa, and I think that interview took place somewhere on the 48th acre. <laughs> that was, was a bubbly connection. That was a that was a very uh, very unreliable connection, but uh, I think you got the gist of it. She's marvelous, and uh, and we love her, and uh, it was fun to talk to her. I think I screwed up the college thing though. I think I messed that up. Uh, turns out she didn't graduate. I thought she did. Uh, well, maybe she did. I don't know for sure. It didn't sound like she did. Uh, I was informed incorrectly. Uh, but just to set the record straight, before you send me emails uh, telling me how wrong I am, let me call the university and uh, I'll check in with the registrar and, and get a get an accurate read on whether or not she walked. Okay. In the meantime, check out her website, lissy.com, for all tour dates and pertinent information. Check out my website, alexgreenonline.com, or follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. And hey, our podcast is available now on Spotify, Google Play, Last.fm, Stitcher, and iTunes. Hey, subscribe to us on iTunes, by the way, since you're there doing iTunes kind of things. And if you'd be so kind to give us a rating, maybe a couple of stars, you know, five if you got them, we would certainly appreciate it, okay? And you know what? I appreciate every week that you're here listening to the program. Thank you so much for your support. I will be back next week. In the meantime, let's close things off with one from Lissy. This is Love Blows. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. I look around and all I see are the reminders of a dream that died A sort of suicide, a love denied, a life incomplete 
Sometimes the best that you can do is just go silent and refuse to lose it To choose your bruises and grit your teeth Find your feet I'm still a silly girl that's singing I need your love, I want your love, can't Gonna say it where everybody knows Love blows And I am stuck at 17 When all the boys thought I was bossy And the girls could be so mean It's like I stopped growing Oh, oh And now the look that's in his eyes It's not for me another prize to win She shimmies by for him And my light goes dim And weak And all the silly girls keep singing I need your love, I want your love Can't get enough of your love I need your love, I want your love I can't go on Just gonna say it or everybody knows Love blows 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 Blows